Today's show, we have Jeremy Harper from Hedge Finance. Jeremy is a qualified mortgage broker and works closely with his clients to understand and guide them through their financial challenges. He specializes in Australian mortgage, business lending, refinancing, and investment loans. We talked about the importance of networking in real estate, budgeting and setting your finances up, the effect of buy now, pay later services to your credit score, Afterpay, Zippay, to name a few, non-resident real estate investing in Australia, buying your first home in Australia, the future outlook for Australian property, and the differences in Australian and American real estate. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show, Pay Now Buy Later, and thank you so much for coming into the show. No problem. Thanks, Ash. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, let's get started with your story first. I was really curious when you said how you started off in accounting and then you switched to real estate. Tell us a bit about your background story, how you like you went to New York as well. Yeah, so, I mean, my story is probably resonates with a few people. When I, when I graduated from high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew that I was good at accounting and I, I enjoyed numbers, but outside that, I really was sort of lost to what to study and, so I signed up to do commerce at La Trobe University in Melbourne. And I actually, I think probably into my second year, I deferred for, for six months because I was really not sure if that was what I wanted to do. Um, and during that time, I actually was working at a local pub and basically started working full time, you know, do, pulling beers, working in the poker machines, cleaning, cleaning up the pub after people. And that actually helped me zero in the fact that, no, I need to go back to uni and, and graduate and get this degree and I didn't know what I was going to do with it but I knew that it was important so you know went through and graduated university and then I was really lucky um, just before the 2008 financial crisis hit I signed on as a graduate to, to become an accountant working for a, a firm in the city Collins Street so what they actually did was, and I remember this moment, they sent out a letter to the grad group. So they took in maybe 30 or 40 new graduates from, from universities throughout Melbourne, Australia. And then they, the GFC hit and they gave some people the option to defer their start because they, the firm was worried about the GFC coming through, how's it going to impact the clients and the firm's revenue. And I decided to actually continue starting and the other people took a delay and actually took like a delay bonus. They it turned out, they never actually started working. So it was kind of my first correct decision I made early on in my career. Um, so I worked there for a number of years doing tax, looking after you know, family office, tax and advisory for business owners in Melbourne um, and sort of working out compliance, but also how to maximise their tax structures and maximise their wealth and taking income from their business and how, how they can used certain structures to then take that money that they're earning and put it aside and you got passive income in the future so that was that helped me understand quite early on the the, the basics premise of here over here is your basket where you earn your income be it from a business or, or working and then over here you've got another basket of passive income and obviously the idea is to grow the two buckets over over time and you know this actually just takes care of itself so that was my first i worked there for three or four years and got my chartered accountant's uh, diploma. And then I went to industry. And so I went and worked for 
a retail firm as their accountant. So I was looking after reporting on their Australian numbers across stores. And that was really interesting because I was dealing with different stakeholders in the business, uh, on the same numbers, putting together the same reports every month. And my friend talks to me about uh, mortgage brokering. And so for me, the idea of sitting in front of people, going through their finances and being able to help them achieve their financial goals. So I started off working in private office when I started my career, but unfortunately or fortunately for those clients, they had to have a certain amount of wealth to afford the fees so they could yep. get that advice. But what I loved about mortgage brokering when it was explained to me was someone comes to you and they, they want, they want to achieve a goal. So it could be buying their first property could be buying that property for that young family so they can move from an apartment to something to be in the backyard. Could be, you know, expanding their uh, investment portfolio, building, renovating, whatever they want to do. You can sit down, I can map out a bit of a goal, go through their numbers and educate them on the process. And the way it's structured as a broker in the industry, we don't have to charge a fee. So I can have a conversation with someone who just started off a little bit of savings and then I can speak to a client who has a net worth of $10 million. I can give both those clients the same, the same time and professionalism, which I thought was really exciting. And so that's sort of how I started my own, my own business, H Finance. So I started in Melbourne uh, where I grew up and then I, I have a broker that works for me and I mentor her. So she's, based in Queensland and I have a, a staff member that, that sort of helps out with the, the back end system. So I've had to build that out and build systems out so that not just I can follow, but multiple people can follow that every time we're dealing with a client and, and the same process. Yeah. So what, what was your experience like in New York city? Was it a lot different from, do you miss anything from there? Yeah. And so so my wife and I moved over there for a couple of years and I, I was sort of a crossroad around what I was going to do. And so I decided to continue with, with my mortgage broking business. Whilst I was over there and you go to the other side of the world. I didn't know any, anyone. So zero. So day, the second day we were there, we, we hadn't even found an apartment. I went to a networking event. Um, so I figured that, the best way I can meet people and to grow my own network and brand in a city of 8 million people in a city, I don't know anyone on the other side of the world, different time zone from mum and dad was go out there and meet people. So it just so happened that the first networking event I went to, um, I met a guy called Sandeep who we became good friends, still good friends. And that was the first night. And we, we actually create our own, um, networking group over there called meet and connect and we did okay. this as the idea for us was to leverage but we were able to build in new york he was there you know he'd been there a few years but he wasn't really established with his network we were able to build a database of a thousand people under 12 and that was purely because every month we were putting on networking events and it was fantastic because i was able to, to connect people they were able to do business business to business relationships and then that let, allowed me to be introduced to more people. And from there, I got to get introduced to Australian expats over there who were my clients. Now, not all of them were looking for mortgages whilst they're in New York, 
but that started to open up doors. So that was a really cool lesson for me about, you know, if you don't know, if you're going to a new city and you don't know people, you know, you don't have to wait for people to call you to invite you things, just tread your own pathway. Um, yeah. And, you know, we created our own group, we created a website, we created a Facebook group and, you know, we had people raving and we just created a concept that we didn't think was there. So that helped me uh, adjust myself into the New York lifestyle, but it was, it was all a learning experience. I got myself a little office in a WeWork, which, you know, is oh, yeah, yeah. Australia, so you're probably familiar with them. Um, yeah. in Midtown, so I got to make some good friends and, and, and got to meet clients there and, you know, that come in and we talk about mortgages and, and I'd sign them up and, yeah, it was just a really interesting experience. I mean, for me, all of that was was really brand new. And I, I sort of thought about that. Number one, I had to go and meet people to expand my network, but also, you know, to try and get new clients. I taught myself how to to build some websites, so, you know, SEO, put together some some content online so people could try and find me if they if they're looking for certain certain topics. And from there, that's how I kind of kept growing the business. And it's all about trying to get yourself busy, service clients in front of you, but also have an eye to the future and how, you, how you're going to reach that next client. And that can be through blogs, social media. So certainly myself, um, I'm not perfect at it. I'm not a master. But, you know, as long as you're getting content out there, semi regularly and it's, it's something that, that is your own passion, that will speak yep. to people and that's how you can, you know, connect to that next customer. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, um, so, and I guess the next stage was last year, we, we moved to Sydney. So I guess, um, again, that was a, a next kind of expat move, you know, from Melbourne to, to New York and then New York yeah. to Sydney. So we've been here for well, 12 months and been able to fortunately miss what's happened over in New York with the whole COVID-19. So that's been quite fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so you you really stress about the importance of you know setting yourself up early and planning ahead, budgeting. So what what are yep. your thoughts on budgeting, saving your for your first home, and just basically setting yourself up for your financial future? Yeah, so I mean personally, when I got a bit of a sign-on bonus, my first job out of university, I I didn't know much about shares, but I, I remember at the time ANZ did a capital raise and so they offered these convertible notes, which is basically like a share at the end of the, the that over the period, every quarter you get paid this sort of income and then it became shares, you get dividends at the end of it. And I thought that was a fantastic concept and just trying to figure out ways to always aim for, you know, putting, putting away 15, 20% of your income into another pool and be really disciplined with that and find out a way that works for you. Um, you know, you've got the bare foot invest, you've got all these different structures and sometimes people do overcomplicate it. They've got, you know, five, six different bank accounts. You don't need to keep it that complex, but if you've in your mind, just train yourself, like you get up in the mornings and get yourself into a habit of understanding your own balance sheet and profit and loss. Um, I think a lot of people, I mean, from my experience and I've looked at, I've looked at people who have come to me and, you know, they're earning a million dollars of income. And I've, I look at people who are earning $15,000 and you go, and in the day they're just numbers, but if you don't have the right uh, habits, 
you can still be earning a million dollars income and you cannot be saving any of that. And I've seen people who are earning really, really good money, but it's all going out because they haven't got the basics under control. And, and human beings, they quite often overestimate the future. So they think, well, it's okay that I've spent this today because I'm getting that bonus from my work tomorrow. And people fall into that trap of, you know, I will pay off that credit card tomorrow or I will pay down that after pay tomorrow or I will pay off that car loan. And they get into that habit of I want something now to pay and I'll pay for tomorrow. But that's just not reality because things get in the way that bonus doesn't come. COVID-19 hits and everyone's bonus gets cut in half. You, you get sick so you can't take that extra out that extra shift on the weekend or something happens so you have to buy some medicine for yourself there's all these things that come along that's life it happens in business it happens in your own personal life so it's how do you kind of safeguard yourself from not getting yourself into issues like that yeah and uh, while we're on the topic buy now pay later with after pay zip pay i think that's like a whole structural change with like people's mindsets shifting to you know paying yeah. it later and yeah would would that like what what do you think that has that what's the effect on that on a person's as you said the balance sheet if they keep adopt that to their mindset well i guess from a home loan point of view it's not doesn't look good um you know it starts with maybe one facility and then you might have two three because there's there's probably, you know, I don't know exact number, there's probably half a dozen providers out in the market yeah. now. Heaps. You could go and you could open a facility with each of them. And then once you've done that, you could then open up one or two credit cards and where does it stop? And then before you know it, you, you get yourself into a lot of trouble. And that happened with a lot of young people in the late 90s when credit cards came onto the scene. People did, the technology came out before the regulations caught up. It always happened. And so there was these new credit cards and they just, they got themselves into trouble and then mum and dad had to come and bail them out. Um, and I think that's what we're going to see here because it's, it's changing people's behaviour and that's the really scary part. Um, it's telling people you can have it now before you get paid. Now, that can work out. It's not necessarily a bad thing in isolation, but if you're constantly doing it, you're going to get yourself into trouble. You're going to get caught out. It's, it's not a matter of if, it's when. And um, that's going to have impact if, if people are trying to buy a property Number one, it impacts their borrowing capacity. Also, their credit score. Uh, being subscribed to a service like Afterpay, ZipPay, does it actually like impact your ability to borrow? Or when imagine you go into a bank and if they see your history with Afterpay, ZipPay, would that be a negative yeah. for a person? Well, so July 2019, they started rolling out CCR, which is comprehensive credit reporting. And so yeah. basically you can run your credit and not it, we're now at the point where nearly every financial institution is reporting on someone's credit score, but you can get 24 months. So we're adopting the US model where it's 24 months. And if you've got a credit facility, say credit card open, it would show you how did that customer perform with their payments over the last 24 months. They paid on time and you forensically, you can understand, okay, January last year, they, they fell into trouble with all these different facilities. And so, yes, it, it's, a, it's a trail of how someone's credit has been performing over 24 months. So you can't hide. And they, those type of facilities will be reported on there. Um, and depending on 
you know, Zip has a slightly different Zip Pay. They have basically like a line of credit. So it's like a yeah. credit card. So you could go in there and, and have a, a $1,000 facility with them. So that the, the incoming lender or the bank you're trying to get a loan with will assess that based on the limit. So you might not draw it down, but it's going to reduce your borrowing capacity. And then there's also the behavioral, you know, so if you've got multiple uh, facilities open, the lender's going to ask, okay, how is this, how does this uh, actually impact this borrower and what's their behavior? Then they'll start to cross-reference those facilities to their bank statements. So with open banking coming in, all of that data, you know, borrowers could a couple of years ago, four or five years ago, maybe hide some of that behavior with some just showing select bank statements. But now as open banking coming to play, there's nowhere to hide. It will be able to, the banks will be able to see all your data. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much like doing fundamental analysis on a stock. You pretty much check your debt balance sheet. If there's too much debt, no loan given. That's yeah. Simple Correct. as that. Yeah. And, um, and, and at the moment, what a lot of people don't realize is, sorry, some of the bigger banks at the moment have what you call internal credit scoring. Okay. So there's a variety of factors and we don't know what the, it's, it's an algorithm, but we don't know the exact parameters because it's sort of their secret source. But if you go to a lender and you put your application to them and you fail internal scoring straight away, that application can't get overturned. That's no. a system and the, the human can't override it. And playing into that is your credit score. So yeah, definitely can have an impact. Mm, and with the current event, it's only going to get tougher to get loans, isn't it? Banks right. will be, yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, so you specialize in expat investing and non-resident investing for, as many people know, they're, they're, they're charged high stamp duty and high taxes and they find it difficult to invest in real estate in mm -hmm. Australia, except for like REITs, they can get exposure through REITs that's probably the easiest way. So in the yep. case of a non-resident, what's, what's the best course of action? What should be their first step? Say if they have enough capital to invest, what would be the best yeah. course of action for them? So I guess one thing to can think about is if a, a non-resident is, is in a relationship with an Australian citizen, so maybe they're living abroad and perhaps there's, you know, uh, the husband is Australian, he's married to, to an American lady and they're living in America. So yeah. what you need to think about is you're right, there's two things, there's the FRB, the Foreign Investment Review Board, which is exempt if you've got an Australian citizen, but then also there's the additional stamp duty, as you mentioned, and how do you structure the actual um, who's on the title, because that's where ultimately the stamp duty is going to get decided. It comes down to the ownership. Um, so there's something you just need to weigh up in terms of who the ownership and then there's also the benefit of being on the loan um, so that's something if you're it gets quite tricky because if if you need both the party's income to service the loan it's very hard to structure it where you've got it in just one person's name because what's the benefit of the non-person so the person doesn't own the asset of being on the loan if it's really just for convenience well then you can't you might have an issue getting that loan approved so that's something to think about. Um, in terms of lending for non-residents, um, the market really tightened up. So there's there's obviously there's two things to think about. There's the expat policy, which is someone that has, from a lending point of view, we ignore their tax residents. 
So you could be a non-Australian tax resident, but don't worry about that. Um, but really the, the lenders are focused on, do you have an Australian passport and live overseas? So if you do, long and short, you qualify for the expat policy and depending on the lender, you can get regular investment rates as if you're based in Australia. The second part is non-resident. Um, that's still quite tight. It's opened up in the last eight, 10 months, a little bit, but majority, a lot of the big banks are still not open to lending to non-residents. Um, there was a lot of exposure and I think a couple of the banks got burnt a few years ago with some of that lending, but there's more options that are opening up around how to do that. So what, what I've seen is when all the banks dried up in you know, 2016, 2017 lending, a lot of that had to go to private money. So they weren't really you know, typical 30 year term loans. So people in those short term sort of interest only loans that need to be refinanced out to a regular term loan that can amortize. So there's a few more options now on the market. Right. Um, so with, uh, with property as well, Sydney, Melbourne, uh, Australia is known to be like the second highest overvalued property market in the world. Do you yep. think it's worth for new investors to actually seek out alternative ways in like regional areas for their first investment or just keep saving money for the metro areas? Yeah, I personally, I always think about, you know, the, the KISS principle. So keep it simple, keep okay. it simple, stupid. Um, and, you know, so you think about if someone, I always think about what are the strengths to a certain, so what, what is your natural strengths? So if I'm, if I'm a uni student going to university in Melbourne in Deakin, so Deakin yeah. Burwood, you might have a really good understanding of that area. So you might know this part of, of, you know, the North side apartments or North side property of the university performs really well. The South side doesn't, I'm just using an example. So because you're going to that university every day, you understand that these certain roads have great exposure. There's no traffic, you know, it's close to public transport. Um, it's got great facilities nearby and these ones not so, not so much. So I always look at where can you find uh, where do you have a leg up on the market? So I would be thinking about looking in your backyard, is that perhaps market overlooked by other investors and maybe looking at other ways to structure it. So if you're, you know, if you're wanting to get into real estate and you've got some friends and perhaps you can't afford to buy, say an apartment near university that you're going to rent out, maybe structure it so that you can go in with three or four friends and buy that property together. That way your deposit is, you know, a quarter yeah. each and the loan is exposure is a quarter each and maybe find something that's a bit more run down that you can add some equity into that property straight away by doing a small renovation. Maybe it's nothing major, but, you know, new carpet, put some new paint on it, a couple of new door handles, add a bit more yield to it just by adding a bit more effort. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. So... It, as you said, if you bundle together and get a property with like a couple of friends, would that yep. lead to more legal complications down the line? Like in the sense of say, if one person wants to sell it, the other person wants to keep it. Is that the only considerations or are there other things you have to think about as well? Yeah, look, definitely you have to, I've seen them work really well, but you have to be on the same page. Now, yeah. 
if you're looking to get in some property and you're all 23 years old and your plan is you're all going to sell in seven years time yeah well a lot of things can happen people can get married have kids they might want to cash out go overseas so you have to obviously you have to make sure that you're on the same page because property unlike say shares it's not liquid so when you enter and exit there's costs and you can't just buy and sell like that as much as people try and say you can um so yes you're correct you have to be on the same page and make sure that you've got an exit strategy if i'm looking to invest in a regional area and i'm not too sure where to invest is it worth just going into that area talking to people and then you know before before you invest sure i mean you can but obviously everyone's biased so yeah that's true you speak to someone in sydney is sydney a good place to invest they're going to say yes (laughs) if you speak to someone in ballarat or bendigo and say is bendigo the next place they're going to say yep particularly if you speak to an agent and i think a lot of people forget the role of an agent is to represent the vendor to get maximum price that's it so if you're going to an agent asking for some local knowledge maybe some recommendations where you think you're probably not going to get it so you can look at things like doing your research you know that's one thing there's a lot of data out on the internet you can look through or if you don't have the time expertise you can engage in you know like a buyer's agent or a buyer's advocate locally pay them a fee and they can do that research on your behalf but obviously that's an additional cost out of your own pocket just to factor in yeah Awesome. So um, with the current market conditions, what potential headwinds, tailwinds do you see with the current property market? Yeah. So, I mean, so we just, the banks came out recently that they, the home loan repayments or the mortgage holidays are calling it. We're going to wind up in September. So that would take six months, but now they've come out and said an extra four months and that's been green lighted by APRA. So, we're in very interesting times because I've never seen this where essentially the banks are signaling to the market that, you know, you can forego repaying your mortgage further and further. And on top of that, they're now allowing borrowers if they want to go back to the bank and negotiate and say, look, now I want to go just instead of not paying anything, I now want to do an interest only loan on my own, my place of residence. That's now allowed, which only three or four years ago, that was, that was frowned upon. So it's really interesting. Um, so I think when you look at the property market, you know, there's markets within markets and I'm certainly seeing that the blue chip areas that people want to live in, the prices aren't really doing a lot. They're stabilizing. People always want to live there. The beaches are still going to be there. The good schools, the good parks, nothing's changed. I think it's going to be the areas where perhaps people have, it's it's got a bit more investment stock in that area where people are looking at going, I've had to reduce my rent because of what's happened. Maybe now the time to get rid of, you know, offload this property. Maybe they're a little bit overextended or they just want to exit that property for now. So that's maybe where those areas that are a bit more investment heavy might see some price fluctuations with stock. Right. Yeah. Um, just today I heard, uh, on the news saying that for property prices to return to pre-COVID levels, it's going to take years. Yes. But is that, what do you think? I, I honestly feel like that's not true, especially yeah. because property is like Australia's thing. Everyone invests in property. And yeah. 
the banks and the APRA, they'll always support, you know, higher prices. Yeah, what De are your... Definitely, I, I agree with that. And I think um, it, is, it is still the Australian dream property yeah. and everyone aspires for it. And, you know, you look at, you, you have all got a, a certain amount of years where we're going to be working. You know, we all want to work till, we, till the end, but that's not going to be the case. And so the idea of having a property at the end of your working life with no mortgage and at the moment, the way it's structured, you can then go and get the pension if you yeah. need to. That's a pretty good sort of retirement plan for most people because you've got no mortgage over your head. You've got the security of a, of a property and you know, you've got that income coming from the government or you might have other assets that you've saved up. So I think my, that's not changing. And I think myself spending time overseas, it, it, it made me appreciate just how good it is in Australia. So regardless of what's happening in the next year, even two years, people from overseas, wherever it is, they're going to want to live in Australia because it's a great country, good government, fresh air, environment, beaches, parks, schools, you know, yes, there's some corruption, but pretty, pretty sort of stable business. And yeah. you can come here and, and live, bring up a family and, and make something of it. And that hasn't changed. That's been the same principles for the last sort of 30, 40, 50 years. And that's why you keep seeing every 10 years, a new wave of migrants from a different country coming over. And I don't see that changing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think certain COVID-19 definitely put a stop on like the migrants coming, but yeah, as the economy needs to grow, they'll need more migrants anyways for them to kickstart. So that will be a potential tailwind for the property prices. Yes. And, well. and the way, if I guess what I also learned with say American Australia, you know, land masses, they're both big countries, but just the way Australia is, is, Put together in terms of the, the main thing is the water resource it's along the coast so we are restricted on where we can live whereas what i realized traveling through america was there's there's waterways all through you know there's rivers big mississippi river so people can live all, all across america and that creates a fundamental difference because people there's lots of little urban cities in america whereas australia it's sort of built predominantly on the east coast apologies to people in in perth but majority of people live in the east coast yeah yeah true that um yeah that's where all the development has been happening for the past 20 30 years sydney apart from the mining boom of course um yeah yes yeah, so, so what um what what are the key differences you see in uh, serving as a mortgage broker in us and uh, in australia in terms of, so in, after the GFC in America, the mortgage broker market, uh, definitely, I guess their market share was reduced. So I think it's only about 20 or 30% of loans go through a broker in the US, whereas here okay. it's about 60%. Oh, that's, okay. um, and so they still have the, they we're in Australia, we're an intermediary. So if someone comes to us, we offer credit advice sit them down and then we've got 30 lenders, 35 lenders to, to offer them and we'll introduce them and, and do the, that work, the paperwork and, and help them through settlement. Whereas in America, they'll actually write the loan and then sell that, that off book. So it's kind of like a balance sheet and they'll sell that to a, to a big bank. 
Um, so that's that's kind of one of the big fundamental differences. Whereas that type of securitization is not as big here. Yeah, yeah, understood. Um, finally, what what's something you would like to change with your whatever industry or community? What's something you're really passionate about changing? Oh, I think I think people uh, empowering people to understand personally their own where their money goes. Um, I think that would lead to just better financial outcomes for individuals. If people sit down, take the time to understand, you know, how, what I, what happened with my my balance sheet or my P&L or my cash flow this month? Where did it go? Um, because it, if you put it to the side, it is a it is a a source of frustration and stress for people. I see it all the time. But if you're on top of it, you can actually make it into a game and you can budget things and you can reward yourself with things you love. So, you you know, budgeting and understanding where your money is doesn't necessarily mean you don't spend anything and you're miserable, but you actually turn into a game and you reward yourself and you go, yes, you know, I love, I love, you know, someone might love basketball. So they go and reward themselves with new basketball shoes because they've had a really good week or, or a fortnight. So, yeah, I think instilling those sort of, those fundamentals really early. That's what I'd like to see change. And I, I still don't think we do it well. Um, we just, we, we want to buy and live in the now. So hopefully this COVID-19, it's, it's reprogramming people a little bit, not necessarily to have, they need everything. You know, they can get away with life with some basics and they understand reprogram in terms of what's important for themselves and their family. I think just be curious you know, read, um, I mean, there's so many, so much content out there now, it's probably too much, but try <laughs> yeah. and stick to something you're really interested in. And that might be understanding, you know, maybe it's understanding how a construction, the process works about that and give yourself 12 months to really get, get an idea around that and ask people questions. Um, I think, you know, personally, I've had mentors throughout my career and I think they're fantastic. And I mentor someone now and I, I get a kick out of it. Um, so if you can find someone that's walked the pathway you're looking at, call them up and just say, you know, can I, can we grab a coffee once every six weeks or something and I can just pick your brains or even just a video call or, or a telephone call, you'll find that a lot of people will be open to that idea and um, they'll be able to give you advice and some feedback around what to look out for and, and you know, what to avoid and, give you some pointers around that. Yeah. Awesome. So how did you go around finding your mentor? Did you develop like a relationship between each other before you, before he was your mentor or did you just approach him straight away? Uh, so I had, I was lucky. I had a couple of mentors. So when I started my professional career, basically your manager was also a mentor, which worked yeah. pretty well. And then as you kind of got to build relationships, I, I grabbed another mentor in the, in a business that wasn't my manager, which was great because, you know, having a direct report being your mentor is not great because you can't talk about what's going on openly yeah. sometimes. Um, and then I was able to, through the chartered accountant program, they had a mentor program where they paired me up with someone, which was great. Um, and, you know, just as I've, as you've sort of matured, you, you can start to, can find people and, and seek out people who you're aspiring to be 
and and just sort of have more of a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, so if, if you, people listening to that thinking, you know, I want to learn more about the medicine field, well then maybe try and seek out, maybe it's someone close, maybe it's a friend's mother or father that works and really interested. Um, you'd be surprised just by asking someone because, you know, if you go to a doctor that you're, you're studying to be, you know, a surgeon and your, your friend's mother's a surgeon and you start asking them some questions, they'll be more than happy to answer it um, because they love it. It's passion. They'll just speak all day about it. So yeah. try and take out a mentor. Awesome. And um, how can people reach you and what can they expect from you once they do? Yeah, so they can... Uh, I've got my website. I'm sure we can put. A link. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll put a link on the show as well. Um, post that up. Yeah, if they want to have a chat, we can make the time. They want to discuss, you know, where they're at, where they want to be, how far they are from starting that journey. That's something we can I can do. I I like to do sort of like phone consultations necessary at the start just to kind of understand where that person's mindsets at. Um, or if they just want to understand, are they are they in the right direction? You know, maybe it's just if if someone's listening in there, they think that they're five or six years away from that property journey. That's fine, and maybe they just want to have a have a chat and sort of pick my brain. That's that's also okay. Awesome, um, thank you so much for your time, Jeremy. It was awesome having you, and I learned a lot, and I'm sure the audience learned a lot as well. And yeah, no hope problem. to keep in touch. Appreciate that. It's good chat. Thank Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something new from this episode. If you did, make sure you like, comment and subscribe. And if you know anyone who would benefit from the content we covered today, make sure you share it with them and add some value to their life. Have a blessed day and take care.